You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 1. I want us to continue where we left off, and I want to share a message with you entitled, Obedience to Jesus. Obedience to Jesus. I believe the Lord is calling us to clear obedience, but I want to make clear where obedience comes from as a child of God. It's not mustered up in the flesh. I would say oftentimes in our flesh, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we, oftentimes, we oftentimes come up with really clever ways to avoid obedience, clear obedience to Scripture. There's just this in, innate immaturity within us as beings that still have the flesh alive in us that, that avoids obedience sometimes. We come up with all sorts of clever ways to justify our disobedience. And I want to call us out of that as a church family into a deeper level of maturity, being formed in the image of Christ. That's the Lord's purposes for your life, for you to look more and more like Jesus. And that the, our testimony would be that we would be called a Jesus people. But oftentimes, what we'll find is our disobedience is more a, a manifestation of a disbelief about our identity and who we are in the Lord. So it's, it's, it's a, um, a lack of fascination and even a lack of acknowledgement of the very presence of God upon our lives. It's like we, we, we even like existed in the, in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. They're trying to pretend that they can avoid God. They're hiding from God. You know, how foolish is that for us to try to hide from God? We try to avoid eye contact with the Lord. All that gets manifested through, in moments of of disobedience. You know, I grew up from the age of seven, eight, and nine, I grew up um, being raised by a single father. And I had great respect for my father. I had a lot of reverence for the sacrifice of my father. And so, in the presence of my father, in the physical presence of my father, I, I really worked hard to be obedient to my father, to do what he said. I didn't want to cause any more trouble in my dad's life. I saw the pain that he carried. He lost his wife, my mom, and uh, I watched the pain in him, and I wanted to make my dad proud when he was around. But when he wasn't around, I had no problem causing problems. And, and so my dad went through a series of nannies or babysitters in those three years of his single fatherhood. And there was a reason we went through, they went, he went through a series of nannies and babysitters because we went, put them through the ringer. We were so hard on them. And I don't think we were consciously trying to make it hard on them. I'm sure we were hurting in and of ourselves for losing our mothers, but for, for our, losing our mother. But there was something when my dad was absent, the worst of us came out. Just as an example, um, one of our babysitters slash nannies, that they would spend the night with us because my dad was a firefighter, so he'd work 24-hour shifts. So he'd be, he'd be gone for 24 hours, and these nannies would come and st- stay the, the night with us. But one of them was named Beth, and Beth was like the sweetest lady ever. And it hurts for me to even say what we put her through, but... <laughs> But she also kind of lacked the, the gall or the unction to like create some structure for us or boundaries or rules. And so just as an example, one night at 1 a.m., 
three young boys, age five, seven, and nine, venture out of the house to, to venture down to the 24-hour grocery store to buy two-liter sodas. <laughs> you know, just boys, just going about their business at 1 a.m., riding their bike down, down the street to get two-liter sodas. And I don't know how she found out that we were gone. I'm sure we weren't the quietest ones leaving the house. And she drives around the neighborhood to find us. She finally finds us a few blocks away with our two liters in our, in our bags. And, and she's, rather than like laying, laying down the law, laying it into us, she said, hey, boys, what are you doing out here? Oh, you should probably come home. Like, it'd be, it'd be good if you came home. She didn't last long after that. She, my dad moved on to other nannies, but that was just the, the way it was. It was like once my dad was gone, something came in out, us that, out of us that, that wanted to act out and be disobedient, to disregard really our identity as children of our father. And, and, and that, that continues as we get older. We make these justifications for why we can do the things that we do why we can act the way that we act towards the people that are closest to us and go about living in unhealthy ways. We make these justifications. like We, we try to become more and more clever in our disobedience. But I want us to know this, I want, you, I want us all as a church family to know this morning that obedience is not optional as followers of Jesus. Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So let us not misconstrue the new, the new covenant of love and of grace. Jesus says, said, if we love him, we will also be obedient. And the apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So this is the love of God, to love God passionately with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which Jesus said is the greatest commandment. From that will, will follow a heart that's submitted to the Lord's ways fully in his will, in his ways over our, over our lives. So I'm not saying that we obey and therefore we love. I'm not equating obedience purely from outward measurements to be equated to love. But I am saying that love will result in obedience. And that distinction is really important in this age where many people can claim a love for the Lord. Many people can, can claim that they are followers of Jesus, that they love Jesus, but then we continue going down these paths of clear disobedience, of justifying our way of life that's comfortable, continuing to put God in, our, in the box, keep him at arm's length, turn our face away from him in our clever ways to justify our behavior. And scripture makes it clear that if we're truly in love with Jesus, fascinated by his beauty, enamored by his glory, then what will result, the fruit of that, the byproduct of that, will be a heart that's submitted in obedience. So this is the everyday life of a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Anyone who wants to come to the Father must come through him. He's the way, and he, he leads us in this, this narrow path, and there are these sorts of ditches on both sides. One of the ditches that people fall into oftentimes as they're desiring to follow Jesus is, is the ditch of legalism and, or perfectionism, some sort of performance-oriented idolatry. Merriam-Webster's dictionary actually defines perfectionism as this, the doctrine that our moral character constitutes a person's highest good. So we prop up obedience absent of love and adherence to the commands of the Lord that are void of love for Jesus. And that's why it is that ditch is why so many people today avoid talking about obedience. They avoid talking about holiness. They avoid holding ourselves and ourselves in the context of community to a standard that Scripture lays out for us. It's because of that ditch of legalism and perfectionism. Where we prop up our moral performance, our moral character, is the highest good. And so religion or legalism or perfectionism, it says that there's always something more you need to do to climb the ladder to the Lord. That's, that's one of the ditches. The other ditch is, is the ditch that's very common in the church today, which says it doesn't matter how we live. That, that Jesus, he, he paid fully for, for our sin, and his grace is enough for us to continue living however we want. His, his grace will always be there for you. It's kind of like this big, generous grand, grandfather in the sky. He'll always forgive you. There's always, there's always enough for his grace. Just, or not enough of his grace for you. So just keep living the way you want to live. And we avoid all the, the, the passages that call us to die to ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow Jesus, that, that call us to this way of selfless living, submitted to the Father, out of love, to grow in love with him. We avoid everything John tells us in 1 John, and we avoid everything James tells us, that faith without works is dead. But there is a path in following Jesus that is motivated by love, that is, and it's the gospel. Obedience that Jesus has for us as Jesus' people is simply putting King Jesus in his rightful place as our focus. And the gospel speaks over us the reality that we could never be good in and of ourselves. There is nothing that we could do to, to wait and work our way to God. That Jesus came down to make a way and as we fix our eyes on him, he's showing us now how to live. Every single day, he is showing me in intimate relationship with his Holy Spirit. He checks my heart when I, when I speak sarcastically to my wife. He checks my heart when I'm trying to cut corners in my finances. He checks my heart, not hitting me over the head, but like a good father. And as I look at him in the eyes, he helps me grow day by day in greater character as I fall deeper in love with him. So religion, you can think of it like this. Religion says that God is up here. He is perfect. We are down here. There's nothing that we can do. 
I mean, we're, we're down here, and religion says that there are these ladders, these steps that, that work their way up to God. You follow these certain steps, these, this path to enlightenment, or these certain rules, you check off the boxes to get your way to God. And, and by the end of your life, he'll look at you as, as approved, as, as righteous in the eyes of a holy father. But religion is, is, a, is there's no way to get to God through religion. We all know that when we put our heads on our pillows at night. There's nothing that we could do to impress a holy God. The gospel says that God is up here, man is down here, and God came down to man. And God himself built the ladder to the Father. And he said, come, follow me. I'm going to show you the way to the Father. Keep your eyes on me. And as we, we follow him on this triumphal procession towards the Father, he shows us how to live and to look more and more like him. That is the gospel. It's this path of obedience as one's in love with Jesus. So, like I said, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verse 13. We left off last week talking about the, the context of this age in human history that we live, that the prophets foretold, and the angels long to look. This moment in human history. It's in light of that, in light of the soon return of the bridegroom king, that we live lives that are prepared for him every single day. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, so alert and ready, like we're, our, our senses are alive, we're, we're awake to what the Lord is doing and what he's going to do. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have experienced the grace of God as children of God, and there's an even greater grace to be experienced in the age to come. When our glorious bridegroom king returns, there is a grace that will be poured out to even a greater degree upon the children of God. And I cannot wait. That is my hope. So verse 14 We covered verse 13 last week. So here is the new stuff. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He speaks to their identity as obedient children. That's who you are now. You are an obedient child of God. That is your identity now. That's what Jesus purchased for you, is for you to actually be adopted into the household of God, to be adopted into the family of God. So I don't know what your behavior is speaking over you, but the reality is in Jesus, you are now an obedient child. Do not be conformed to the the passions of your former ignorance. That's not who you are anymore. You've been born again. Now you are an obedient child of God. That former ignorance, you know, rears its, its face sometimes in our lives. But that's not the, the primary narrative over our lives. Now we are obedient children. It says, verse 15, but he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is not said often in the church today, that we are called to be holy. 
Why? Because we're children of a holy God. We're children of a holy Father. Some of us have PTSD in talking about holiness because of religion and legalism of the past. What Peter is propping up here is the gospel. It is not legalism. It says, look, lock eyes with the holy God of the universe. Look at him through Jesus. And as you look at him, you also will begin to look like him. You actually begin to, to reflect his image. Just like our, the, our purpose was spoken over us in the garden, we will begin to reflect his image more accurately as we look at the holy God of the universe through the person of Jesus. That is now your identity. And our lives will begin to reflect that. Verse 17, it says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He, he uses that language again of, of these believers being like pilgrims, being exi exiled, and some of them literally were in exile from persecution. But he's leaning into to imagery for us of the, the reality of this moment in which we live. As sojourners, as pilgrims, we are not citizens of this world. Oh yeah, we're citizens in, in our city. Yes, we seek to be good citizens, but really as we are Jesus people, we will be good citizens because we lead people towards the ultimate, the ultimate sense of human flourishing through the gospel. And we'll seek to serve. We'll seek to truly love people, lay down our lives for the world around us. We'll look like Jesus. But he's calling them to a sense of acknowledgement of the presence of the Father. If we live in relationship with God, we'll begin to actually acknowledge his presence in our coming and our going. That's truly, what, that's truly the, the essence of the fear of God. The fear of God is this acknowledgement of his reality in a moment or in a place. It's the presence of God. That changes everything. That changes our actions and our behaviors in our Monday through Saturday. If people usually don't act out in church because there is this sense of reverence or awe of God's presence, of his reality. Even if you don't have a, 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 the words for it, there's this sense that, okay, this is a sacred place. This is a sacred moment. I'm going to be on my best behavior. And then Monday through Saturday happens. And we pretend as though our impartial father doesn't see it. But as we live as children of God, aware of our father's presence, we live, our conduct, our conduct actually begins to reflect that. In verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown, and Peter just goes off now. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter can't help but worship as he begins to think about the precious, valuable, priceless blood of Jesus. That he compares to, it's like, 
precious gold or precious silver. But he says, in reality, that is worthless compared to the precious blood of Jesus. That purchased us back from our futile ways, that purchased us an inheritance in the kingdom, an eternal inheritance. And what's unleashed in Peter is worship. Speaking of the foreknowledge and the sovereignty of God to pluck us out of the miry clay, to pursue us, to in his sovereign wisdom to create a a way to restore and to reconcile our relationship with, with a holy God. Only Jesus. And it unleashes in him this this anthem of worship. So there is this this pattern here that that I want us to to wrap up the last few verses of chapter one, but there's this pattern here that I want want to point us to this morning. In in summary, I call this the, the traction of the love of God in our lives. You want to grow in the love of God in your life? You want to grow and look more like Jesus every single day? Do you want to fulfill the greatest commandment to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? To love your neighbor as yourself? To be a Jesus person? I call this the the traction of the love of God in our lives. It's a a momentum, a growing momentum in our lives that is God's will for your life. So firstly, he pointed us to our identity that Jesus purchased for us. As children, we are adopted into the family of God. This will actually be on the screen. This is the traction that is ours in the Lord. It's our identity. It's reminding ourselves of who we truly are in God. When we misbehave, when we are disobedient, when our conscience is pricked, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our righteousness, the, the, the purest sense of that and the motivation of love in that says, this is who we truly are, is a child of God. That's not who I am. That's my former ignorance. That's my old futile ways. Now I am a child of God. I've been called to a higher plane of living. I have now an inheritance in God. It's, it's my identity. That's what Peter is pointing them to. And that leads to a greater and greater Daily awareness or acknowledgement of the presence of God in our lives, which the book of Proverbs calls the fear of God. More and more and more, we will begin to live as we live in our identity in the Lord, and that becomes our response out of love for Jesus, that we want to greater identify with the work of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, sending of Holy Spirit. We want to live in that more and more every day we will live with a greater awareness of his presence. We'll acknowledge him in the mundane of Monday morning, in the true battle of our Monday through Friday that is going to work and parenting and living out a married life or living life with crazy neighbors or living life on the campus, whatever it is. That's the real stuff of life. And the presence of God is the, is the antidote for that, to live in relationship with Holy Spirit every single day and to live acknowledging him 
where we stop avoiding eye contact with him, but instead willingly turn our gaze towards him more and more and more, which leads and unlocks a life of worship, which unlocks this sense where worship does not get confined to just some songs that we sing or to a moment on Sunday morning, but it becomes a life of worship, where it's just the name of Jesus unleashes in us like this desire to worship him. Wow, Jesus, who was known before the foundations of the earth, who is God's plan A, who is the expression of the character and the nature of the Father, and it unleashes in us this worship, which then leads us into a greater sense of our identity in the, in the Father again. And we grow in that, which leads to greater dependence on his presence and awareness of his, of his presence, which unleashes a life of worship. And on and on and on we go, which Paul tells us is us growing into the image of God from glory to glory. This is the, the glory to glory that, that Paul talks about. It's us growing in the love of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. So verse 22, he says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so as, as you lean into the Lord's ways, which is this traction of the love of God, our lives begin to look pure because they truly are pure. It's not just an outward facade. That's religion, remember? Just putting up veneers and masks and superficialities is religion. What Peter goes to great lengths to talk about here is a transformation from the inside out that actually purifies our souls. If you think of our souls, our mind, will, and our emotions, those things get purified. And from that flows obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. From that purifying of our souls, we love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Verse 23, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, in all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. There is something about the preaching of the gospel that resonates with us, where our spirit man says, yes, this is truth. It stands apart from all other messages on the globe. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that says everything else will fade away. But I know it's Jesus alone who is sufficient. So Jesus is the standard for us as children of God. I want you to know that. We look like him when we look at him. Andrew Murray said that the secret of true obedience is the return to close and continual fellowship with God. A.W. Tozer said that God himself is here waiting our response to his presence. This eternal world will come alive to us the moment we begin to reckon upon its reality. 
The Lord is the standard. We are not. If you'd all stand to your feet this morning, I want us to respond to the Lord. I want to talk about obedience this morning to call us to truly what it means to follow Jesus, what it truly means to be a Jesus people. But hopefully I made it clear that obedience is much more of an effect than it is a cause. It was not so much trying to stoke in you some sort of superficial bout of obedience because that never lasts all that long. I was hoping to, to point you to the, the root of it all himself, the man Jesus Christ. And that out of a place of love, yes, we would respond. And the right response to disobedience is repentance. Two parts of repentance. It's confessing our sin, but then turning from that thing and turning towards Jesus. Not in a place of, as a follower of Jesus, not in a place of condemnation and shame, but in a place of a new way of living. This is now my new way of life. I confess that, Lord. I turn towards you. I want your ways and not my ways. So if you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes, I want us to respond to the Lord. We set our hope on the grace of God. We set our hope on him and him alone. The Lord has called us to live as children of God that look like him. The Lord has unlocked for us an invitation to live every day with a sense of his reality, a conviction of his reality. And what will, be, what will be unleashed in our lives from that is a life of worship. Jesus, you are good. There's none like you. King Jesus. Actually, I'm really hesitant to even call for an explicit response this morning because I never want our response to a message like this to be short-circuited by religion. I want you to see Jesus. He really is that good. He really is that beautiful. That he paid the price to win your heart. That he paid the price for every sin that you've committed. For every act of disobedience against the Father. He paid the price. Not for us to continue in it, but for, us, for him to show us the way out. To show us a way towards victorious living. So would you just respond to the Lord in your heart of hearts. There is a grace here manifested through the church of Jesus. 
The description of scripture is that it's the body of Christ. So we are the, the manifestation of Jesus on the earth. So there's a grace here for you to respond to the Lord. So just staying in your seats, would you respond to Jesus? There's disobedience in all of us at moments. So could we just even, as a church family, rightly orient ourselves with our identity in Him? Rightly acknowledge His presence in our lives and our coming and our going. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.